On January 23, 2024, the biggest streaming service in the United States, Netflix, signed a long-term deal with the biggest wrestling company in the United States, World Wrestling Entertainment, to take WWE's biggest weekly show, Monday Night Raw, off of television for the first time in its 31-year history. Raw, along with other weekly WWE specials and programming, will begin airing exclusively on Netflix in 2025, completely shifting the landscape of televised professional wrestling. The deal is reported to be for 10 years and worth $5 billion. According to Netflix's press release, Raw is currently the number one show on the USA Network, where it brings in 17.5 million unique viewers over the course of the year. One of television's best performing shows in the 18 to 49 advertising demographic, Raw trends on X, formerly Twitter, 52 weeks a year while each new episode is airing. On social media, WWE has more than 1 billion followers across its platforms. In a statement by WWE President Nick Khan, Khan said that, quote, We believe Netflix, as one of the world's leading entertainment brands, is the ideal long-term home for Raw's live, loyal, and ever-growing fan base. And he's correct. The WWE, and the wrestling industry as a whole, touts one of the most rabid fan bases in the world of sports or entertainment. Since the early days of strongmen performing in carnivals and as side attractions, wrestling has captivated audiences far and wide with its mix of action, drama, humor, storytelling, and larger-than-life characters. Even people who don't watch wrestling are familiar with names like Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man Randy Savage, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock. Although wrestling has existed for centuries, it wasn't until the mid-80s when Vincent Kennedy McMahon Jr made a play at turning a territorial system into a national one that wrestling enjoyed mainstream popularity and became a business so profitable that between 2014 and 2019, Forbes ranked WWE's yearly flagship event WrestleMania as sixth in the world's most valuable sports event brands, trailing only behind heavy hitters such as the Summer Olympics and the Super Bowl. The wrestlers in front of those audiences have changed drastically over the years. The 80s saw tall, muscular mountains of men like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior keeping the viewers in the palm of their hands with incredible charisma and admittedly limited in-ring skill, while the 90s and beyond featured smaller, more diverse, and more acrobatic talents taking center stage. Despite the rise and fall, and rise again, of wrestling's success over the past decades, one fact has remained the same. Wrestling endures, and wrestling adapts. Part of that continued success is the changing of the guard behind the scenes. Nick Khan and former wrestler Paul Levesque, better known to fans as Triple H, have taken WWE to new heights of mainstream popularity after the sudden retirement of Vince McMahon on June 17, 2022. Prior to this, the McMahon family was at the forefront of professional wrestling and the WWE itself ever since Vince's father, Vincent James McMahon Sr., saw the potential of wrestling's popularity after World War II. With the development of televisions and their expanse into households into America, he also saw opportunity. He formed Capital Wrestling Corporation, later renamed Worldwide Wrestling Federation, and then World Wrestling Federation in the 1950s, and enjoyed great success in the Northeast. His son, Vince Jr., purchased WWF in 1982 under Titan Sports Incorporated, and almost single-handedly destroyed the territory system of the past to create a worldwide entity that would become what we now call 
World Wrestling Entertainment. After a failed battle with the World Wildlife Fund forced them to drop the F from their initials. WWE and wrestling as an industry has gone from a niche market to an entertainment entity so vast that it rivals films and video games in popularity and profit. Per Wrestling Inc., a WWE quarterly report in 2023 shows $410.3 million in revenue over the second quarter of that same year, which was a new record and an increase of 25%. The company's live event revenue increased by 51% compared to the year before, with attendance up by 45%. According to WWE, the average attendance for a live event last quarter was 9,870, another new record for the company. With numbers like that, it's easy to see why Netflix was eager to bring WWE to its service. WWE has decades of content alongside its weekly and monthly programming to add to the library and help Netflix continue its domination in the streaming market. But this isn't a feel-good story about the success of WWE or how one man changed the industry and brought wrestling to the masses in a way that has never been duplicated. The world already knows that story. This is a story about the man most wrestling fans credit as the innovator of the industry. This is the story of a man who betrayed that industry and his own father in his pursuit of domination. This is a story about Vincent Kennedy McMahon, a man who was so beloved and reviled in wrestling that just saying his name out loud creates arguments. More specifically, this is a story about the alleged crimes of Vince McMahon, of which there are many, and the newest lawsuit that threatens to destroy his legacy once and for all. My name is Shannon Young, and this is No Turning Back. This is No Turning Back with Shannon Young on the Podzilla 1985 Podcasting Network. In 1991, after having spent the past 10 years taking WWF from the Northeast market to nationwide success, Vince McMahon created the World Bodybuilding Federation as a competitor to the already established International Federation of Bodybuilding. Several of McMahon's wrestlers already had a background in the sport, and McMahon was known to prefer the look of large, muscular men in his wrestling federation. WBF lasted less than two years and became one of the first massive breaks in the armor of McMahon's success. It is generally remembered now as the doorway for future legend Lex Luger to enter the WWF and as McMahon's biggest failure before the steroid trial that would follow. In 1991, former WWF ringside doctor George Zahorian was convicted of illegally supplying anabolic steroids, leading to the WBF and WWF introducing a drug testing policy shortly afterward. But the damage was already done. As a result of Zahorian cooperating with prosecutors, McMahon was indicted in 1993, and soon after, the government would take on the McMahon empire in court. Per a New York Times article that same year, the United States Attorney for the Eastern District of New York, Zachary Carter, charged McMahon with conspiring to distribute steroids, possession of illegal steroids with intent to distribute, and embezzlement for allegedly using money from Titan Sports, Inc. to purchase illegal steroids. Six charges were brought against McMahon originally, but three were thrown out before the trial. He was tried for two counts of distributing steroids and one of conspiracy to distribute steroids. During the trial, 
multiple wrestlers were called to testify against McMahon by the prosecution, including his biggest star, Hulk Hogan, who testified under immunity that he had taken steroids under his own prescription and had received them from Zahorian. He stated that he was never asked to take them by or had them purchased on his behalf by Vince McMahon. Former then WWF wrestler Nails, who had recently worked for the company and had famously assaulted McMahon over a pay dispute in 1992, testified that Vince pressured him into taking steroids to increase his size. He was not seen as a very credible witness for the prosecution though, as his animosity towards McMahon was well known and he was seen as a disgruntled former employee looking for revenge. The jury deliberated for 16 hours before bringing a not guilty verdict, and although technically McMahon was off the hook legally, it hurt both his and the WWF's already questionable credibility with mainstream outlets. Vince's attitude and defiance of the government was an early preview of his Mr. McMahon character, which would dominate WWE television for years to come after the shocking departure of Bret Hart in 1997, following the infamous Montreal Screwjob. And while that story in itself is a reflection of Vince McMahon's character, this titan of the wrestling world would come to be known for far worse crimes against humanity. During the much-beloved Attitude Era of wrestling, roughly somewhere between 1997 and 2002, the once family-friendly WWE took on a much harder edge in an attempt to survive the only real competitor the company had ever known, World Championship Wrestling. WCW's Monday Nitro, under the direction of Eric Bischoff, had overtaken WWE's Monday Night Raw in the ratings, and those in the know claimed that WWE was close to going out of business. The Attitude Era, with its mix of more realistic violence and sex-soaked programming, was a major hit with teenagers and young adult fans that helped turn the tide back to McMahon's favor. It's during this time period that the Mr. McMahon character would become the top bad guy in professional wrestling as a whole. McMahon, the character, would use his power as the owner of WWE to exploit and humiliate his talent, particularly the women in WWE. Many of the young female stars at the time were used in storylines, where they were portrayed as the 50-year-old plus Mr. McMahon's sexual playthings, and he often put them in compromising situations to the joy of no one but himself. Infamously, in 2001, future Hall of Famer Trish Stratus was forced to strip to her bra and thong in the ring, get on all fours, and bark like a dog for McMahon. I was 19 years old and an avid watcher of wrestling during that time. I remember watching Trish, who was one of my favorites, strip and bark on national TV. Even then, I was uncomfortable with what I was seeing, and I thought it was in poor taste. I viewed wrestling as scripted entertainment, which it is, and I bought into the idea that McMahon, the villain, did terrible things because that was the way his character was written. He was an awful human being who did awful things, and the point of it all was to watch this character fall and finally get what was coming to him. Evil is in the nature of all great scripted villains. Don Corleone ordered people to be murdered. The Empire destroyed entire planets. I rationalized what I was seeing as just entertainment, even though wrestling has never been that simple. I didn't know then that the character of Mr. McMahon, this monster who forced himself on women for his own personal amusement, was not a character at all, but the public confessions of a real-life predator. On July 22nd, 2022, Vince McMahon tweeted, At 77, time for me to retire. Thank you, WWE Universe. Then, now, forever, together. On the SmackDown after his tweet, 
His daughter Stephanie addressed the crowd by confirming that he had retired, which drew loud boos from fans. Quote, This is the company that he created, that he founded, and he wanted to make sure in his retirement that he thanked all of you, that he thanked the WWE Universe. The crowd then chanted, Thank you, Vince. The news came as a shock to many. The McMahon family had controlled the WWE since its inception, and Vince had ruled over his kingdom with an iron fist for decades. The idea that he would ever retire seemed incomprehensible. Those who knew McMahon personally often talked about how WWE was his entire life, and he would die before he ever gave up control. He micromanaged everything to an absurd level, from overseeing and rewriting storylines to being in the headsets of his announcers. From the outside looking in, WWE was Vince McMahon's legacy, and he was extremely protective of it. But by 2022, WWE seemed stagnant. What was once an innovator in the professional wrestling business had become paint by numbers and was eclipsed by newer and more exciting promotions like All Elite Wrestling. McMahon's brand had become tarnished by poor booking decisions by a man now in his 70s who had lost touch with his audience. Retirement seemed like the obvious choice as he had paid his dues for over 40 years as the head of the corporate powerhouse that is World Wrestling Entertainment. His decision to leave would give Paul Levesque, a man who had reached the top of the industry as multiple-time WWE Champion and had married Stephanie in 2003, a chance to correct course. Under Levesque, fans were wooed back and the WWE saw a new momentum that seemed unheard of just a few months earlier. But something seemed off about the sudden retirement of Vincent Kennedy McMahon Jr. Being sensible was never in his wheelhouse, and his exit from the company seemingly came out of nowhere. For those of us who toil away at the sometimes thankless job that is journalism, the news wasn't as surprising. On June 15th, the Wall Street Journal published an article detailing an eternal probe that World Wrestling Entertainment was conducting into a secret $3 million settlement that McMahon had paid to a departing employee he allegedly had an affair with. On June 17th, McMahon surrendered his CEO role and the WWE Board of Directors appointed Stephanie as interim CEO and chairwoman until the probe's conclusion. The probe also looked into allegations of other non-disclosure agreements involving former WWE female employees and John Laronitis, a former wrestler and head of talent relations at WWE, who was fired from his position on August 8th. Over a 16-year period of time, McMahon reportedly paid over $12 million to four women he allegedly had affairs with. The general consensus at the time was that he was an unfaithful husband at best, and at worst, he had used his power and wealth to lure younger women into a sexual relationship that he paid to keep quiet about. Vince McMahon was allowed to fade away into obscurity rather than face any real consequences for his transgressions. WWE did their best to sweep everything under the rug, and fans were so excited by Paul Levesque's new WWE that they either forgot or simply didn't care about what McMahon did. To many, he was the reason they fell in love with wrestling in the first place, and their sense of nostalgia overpowered their sense of right and wrong. But losing control over WWE was a consequence in itself for McMahon, who so coveted power over his empire. Seeing WWE flourish under his son-in-law had to be a tough pill to swallow, and when rumors began to swirl that the company was potentially going to be sold, he came back to the company he had founded in what seemed like a storyline he himself had written. McMahon, 
who still held a majority of voting power in the company despite retiring, announced plans to elect himself, alongside Michelle Wilson and George Berrios, to the WWE Board of Directors in order to oversee the next media rights deal and potential sale of the company. In a statement, McMahon said, quote, The only way for WWE to fully capitalize on this opportunity is for me to return as executive chairman and support the management team in the negotiations for our media rights and to combine that with a review of strategic alternatives. My return will allow WWE, as well as any transaction counterparties, to engage in these processes knowing they will have the support of the controlling shareholder. Six months after being pushed out of WWE over secret payments McMahon had made to former employees he had affairs with, he forced himself back to the top of the company through a legal loophole. He had paid back the hush money he had practically stolen from the company and was there only to help with the business side, while leaving the creative side in the hands of Levesque. That didn't last long though, as reports McMahon was influenced and the writing started popping up almost immediately. McMahon, who had fallen from grace and nearly brought the company to disaster, was practically back in every way, overseeing the day-to-day -day business of World Wrestling Entertainment. Despite rumors of a company sale to the Saudi government, WWE officially sold their intellectual properties to Endeavor on April 3, 2023, who unified WWE and MMA powerhouse UFC into TKO Group Holdings, which was valued at over $20 billion. McMahon's punishment of losing control over WWE seemed small compared to the massive amounts of money he would make with this new deal. He would quickly be pushed out of the creative side, though, uh, of the new company by Endeavor CEO Ari Emanuel, allowing Levesque to once again take complete control over creative. And fans breathed a sigh of relief. Paul got his role back, and Vince, well, he made a lot of money. During all of this excitement, you couldn't be blamed for not hearing about another settlement involving Vincent McMahon. On January 19th, 2023, the Wall Street Journal reported that Vince McMahon had reached a multi-million dollar legal settlement with Rita Chatterton, a former WWE referee who had accused him of raping her in 1986. Chatterton, regarded as the first female referee in WWE history, first came forward with the allegations in 1992, but unfortunately for her, the statute of limitations had run out. A People article states that Leonard Inzatari, a former wrestler known as Mario Mancini, backed up Chatterton's claims and recalls seeing her alone by a wrestling ring before a show in 1986. Inzatari told New York Magazine, quote, She looks at me and bursts out in tears, and she grabbed me, and I go, Rita, what happened? Inzatari said that's when Chatterton told him that she had been in McMahon's limousine, where he allegedly raped her. Yahoo News says that Chatterton had originally made her claim public on the Geraldo Riviera show. The WWF didn't comment at the time on the allegation, but McMahon called the accusation false in a lawsuit. McMahon and his wife, Linda, sued Chatterton, Riviera, and members of Riviera's production team after the interview aired, alleging that the defendants were part of a conspiracy to inflict, quote, severe emotional distress on the McMahons with the fabrication of a false accusation of rape. The lawsuit was eventually dropped. According to the Wall Street Journal report, Chatterton asked for $11.75 million from the WWE executive, but the two sides agreed to a multi-million dollar settlement that is less than that amount. People reached out to WWE and McMahon's attorney, Jerry McDevitt, who no longer represents the company, but did represent it for over 35 years, and the attorney said that the McMahon denied the allegations. Quote, Mr. McMahon denies and has always denied raping Ms. Chatterton and he settled the case solely to avoid the cost of litigation. 
The Chatterton lawsuit didn't seem to make the kind of impact that the Wall Street Journal's original expose on the internal probe into McMahon's misconduct did, and once again, Vince McMahon seemed to slither back under his rock without notice. That is, until January 25th, 2024, when Vince McMahon's world collapsed around him in mere moments. This time, the rug he used to sweep the truth under would be pulled out from under him. McMahon, WWE, and countless others in the company would face the consequences of their actions. Retribution would come in the form of a woman named Janelle Grant. I have to warn you before we go any further. Everything we've talked about to this point has been a damning profile of Vince McMahon's arrogance and depravity. The way he's conducted his business and the way he publicly humiliated the young women on the WWE roster is shameful. What he did to Rita Chatterton was beyond reprehensible. But Janelle Grant's story is somehow even more depraved. It is a tale of the worst things that one human being can do to another, and it is a special kind of evil that you won't be able to forget. Sensitive viewers may want to skip ahead, although I believe her story is one that everyone should hear. I'll be quoting directly from the lawsuit filed on January 25th quite a bit in the following minutes, and you can find it online and read it for yourself, if you so wish. In March of 2019, Janelle Grant was in a desperate position. She had recently lost her parents after spending years as their around-the-clock caregiver. She was struggling financially and had recently lost her family home and her parents' bankruptcy. She struggled to find work and did her best to network within her apartment building and volunteer within the community to help build a resume in her quest to find gainful employment. The building's resident manager offered to help and reached out to Vince McMahon, who happened to live in a penthouse in the same building. After being told of the young woman's recent hardships, the manager requested that McMahon would speak to her. According to the lawsuit filed on behalf of Miss Grant, he replied with an emphatic, Hell yes. McMahon befriended Janelle, and the two discussed potential employment within WWE. According to her, he would often greet her in his underwear, touch her, ask for hugs, and share intimate details about his life with her. He encouraged her to keep quiet about their relationship to avoid rumors, while also not so subtly hinting that he had lawyers on speed dial to handle problem people. McMahon pushed for a physical relationship with Janelle and promised a career in WWE in exchange. Facing personal financial ruin and the overwhelming power dynamic of a billionaire, she felt like she would lose no matter which path she took, and she reluctantly agreed. In June of 2019, she was given an entry-level position within the company as an administrator coordinator, a position McMahon created for her in WWE's legal department. Their sexual relationship continued, despite her unhappiness and attempts to end it. It was made clear to her that her willingness to continue was part of her job at the company, and she was afraid of what would happen to her if she stopped. She was in an unimaginable situation, completely unaware of how much worse it was about to become. In March of 2020, McMahon began to share sexually explicit pictures and video, some of which he himself recorded, of her with other men in and out of the company, including members of the television production team, executives, producers, and a former UFC heavyweight champion that they were trying to re-sign to a new contract. Although his name hasn't been explicitly stated, people familiar with the situation identified him as former WWE champion Brock Lesnar, who has yet to make a comment. After having already shown Lesnar nudes of Janelle and expressing interest in her, she was instructed by the former UFC champion to send him a video of her urinating, which she did. He replied by calling her a bitch. During this time, with McMahon still in power as CEO of the company, 
he recruited others to have sexual relations with Janelle. He directed her to visit John Laurinaitis prior to the start of workdays for sexual encounters, sometimes even during working hours at WWE headquarters. According to the lawsuit, McMahon's assurances that Janelle was safe and independent rang hollow in light of his efforts to isolate her from friends and attempts to chip away at her identity until it was replaced with his desired role for her as his bitch, his fantasy, and his porn star, while occasionally intermixing softer descriptors like girlfriend and baby, even love when convenient. The text messages he sent her, which she provided in the lawsuit and you can find for yourself online, are some of the most disgusting things I have ever read in my life. McMahon speaks like a horny teenager who recently discovered that he could say whatever he wanted to online without fear of repercussions. He did not just speak to her with a lack of respect, he dehumanized her, as if she were nothing more than a toy for his sick enjoyment. In one text message, he told her about his fantasy of her being gang-raped by three black men, while in another, he told her that only he gets to decide who she has sex with. He exercised complete ownership and control over both her professional and personal lives. McMahon also subjected her to acts of extreme cruelty and degradation that caused her to disassociate and become numb to reality in order to survive the horrific encounters. As one example of this extreme depravity, on May 9th, 2020, he defecated on her during a threesome and then commanded her to continue pleasuring his friend with feces in her hair and running down her back while he went to the bathroom to shower off. Upon his return from the bathroom, he and his friend actively resumed the threesome, which lasted over an hour and a half, while she remained covered in McMahon's filth. When his friend left, he ordered her to stay and continue to sexually gratify him. In March of 2021, she would be transferred to the Talent Relations Department under Laurinaitis. In June of 2021, McMahon and Laurinaitis sexually assaulted her inside his office in WWE headquarters while colleagues were busy at their desks. Behind a locked door, the two men cornered her and pulled her in between them, forcibly touching her before ultimately putting her on top of a table in between them. She begged them to stop, but they forced themselves on her, each taking turns restraining her for the other, while saying no means yes and take it, bitch. In January of 2022, McMahon told her that his wife had found out about their relationship. Purportedly to avoid divorce, negative publicity, and other repercussions, McMahon said that her time at WWE was at an end, but he wanted her to sign an NDA to ensure his silence on, among other things, his personal misconduct. In the days ahead, he put her under immense pressure to sign, saying that refusing would not only jeopardize him, his family, and the company, but that she'd surely become a public headline suffer reputational ruin and face his legal resources. Conversely, he reassured her that her signature would ensure his continued support and protection and safeguard her reputation. Ultimately, Janelle succumbed to the pressure and signed the NDA in exchange for payments. After years of humiliating torture at the hands of a depraved millionaire who exploited her mentally, emotionally, and physically, she was at last finally free. The internal investigation into the payments which had forced McMahon's sudden retirement came and went, and no one would have ever spoken about it again had Vince McMahon, whether through arrogance or stupidity, not failed to live up to his end of the contract. He didn't pay Janelle Grant what he agreed to, thereby opening the door for the truth of his heinous actions to come out. Grant's attorney, Ann Callis, said in a statement that, quote, 
Today's complaint seeks to hold accountable two WWE executives who sexually assaulted and trafficked plaintiff Janelle Grant, as well as the organization that facilitated or turned a blind eye to the abuse and then swept it under the rug. She is an incredibly private and courageous person who has suffered deeply at the hands of Mr. McMahon and Mr. Laurinaitis. Ms. Grant hopes that her lawsuit will prevent other women from being victimized. The organization is well aware of Mr. McMahon's history of depraved behavior, and it's time that they take responsibility for the misconduct of its leadership. The response was swift and damning for the once invincible leader of the wrestling industry. Word spread like wildfire through the internet after the Wall Street Journal article, with major news outlets like CNN, ESPN, Fox News, NBC, and more posting stories about the alleged conduct of the former WWE chairman. TKO, the company created as a joint venture between WWE and UFC, quickly released a statement distancing themselves from McMahon. Quote, Mr. McMahon does not control TKO, nor does he oversee the day-to-day operations of WWE. While this matter predates our TKO executive team's tenure at the company, we take Ms. Grant's horrific allegations very seriously and are addressing this matter internally. Slim Jim, a longtime wrestling sponsor that had previously recruited wrestler Randy Savage as their spokesperson in the 80s and 90s, paused its promotional activities within WWE following the allegations, saying that the decision reflected their commitment to their brand values and responsibility to their community. This decision would last less than a day. Vince McMahon would resign his position with TKO after the allegations came to light, and Slim Jim would resume their sponsorship with WWE just hours ahead of this weekend's Royal Rumble event, shortly after the resignation. Though he did resign, he took no responsibility for things he was accused of, and he resigned in his signature, defiant style. Quote, I stand by my prior statement that Miss Grant's lawsuit is replete with lies, obscene made-up instances that never occurred, and is a vindictive distortion of the truth. However, out of respect for the WWE Universe, the extraordinary TKO business and its board members and shareholders, and all of the employees and superstars who help make WWE into the global leader it is today, I have decided to resign from my executive chairmanship and the TKO board of directors effective immediately. This was one of the most difficult shows that I have ever done. I had originally intended on doing an improv show, like all the other shows on the network, with a short scripted intro. But I decided to write out the entire episode because I wanted to give you, the listeners, all of the facts and not miss something important due to my unfortunate, uh, forgetful nature. But even after writing page after page of details, I realized that this episode just scratches the surface of the alleged crimes of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I didn't elaborate on McMahon's habit of not paying what he had promised to promoters during the building stages of what would become the biggest wrestling company in the world. I didn't detail his alleged role in the cover-up of the murder of Jimmy Snuka's then-girlfriend Nancy Argentino in 1983. But frankly, there are simply too many things to mention in a reasonable amount of time. I cannot tell you whether or not Vince McMahon is guilty of the crimes he has been accused of, neither previously nor currently. I never witnessed any of it myself. I do not know any of these people personally. This is still America, where people are considered innocent until proven guilty, and Vince McMahon deserves his day in court. With that said, after going one-on-one with the United States government in 1994, it seems like every time McMahon is about to have his day in court, he merely writes another check and makes the problem go away. 
After paying millions to Rita Chatterton for allegedly raping her in 1986 and paying over $10 million to four different women in exchange for their silence about his sexual misconducts, you wouldn't be blamed for thinking that where there is smoke, there just might be fire. And despite the majority of this episode being about Vince McMahon, the person I really want you to think about in all of this is Janelle Grant. In the next few days, weeks, months, and potentially years, everything about this young woman is going to be put under a microscope. She has already been called a liar, and there will no doubt be those who will accuse her of just looking for a bigger payday than the $3 million settlement she was originally promised. Internet memes are already being shared online making fun of her abuse. Media personalities like Jim Cornette, who is a guilty pleasure of mine and someone I listen to frequently until this, laughed out loud at the details of the lawsuit. And admittedly, hearing such absurd things about Vince McMahon, like how he names his sex toys after his wrestlers, would be funny until you remember that there was another human being suffering because of it. Cornette can't seem to fathom why anyone would stay in such a traumatizing position for so long and go along with the humiliating acts that were demanded of her and hinted that there must be a reason she went along with it. Yes, Jim, there is a reason. Janelle Grant was a desperate young woman who was preyed upon, then blackmailed with sexually explicit photos and videos by an old, rich, white bastard with legions of bloodthirsty fans who would defend him until his dying day. People like you, who laugh and immediately throw doubts on a woman who comes forward about her abuse or why statistics show that two out of every three rapes go unreported. Janelle Grant's name will forever be tied to these horrific acts. She will live the rest of her life in infamy, and the odds of her having any sort of a normal life are slim to nil. She did not deserve to be treated like less than a human being by her abuser. But she does deserve justice. Meanwhile, Vince McMahon, the wrestling promoter who created and pissed away an empire, will forever be haunted by his own actions. When history looks back on his legacy, Innovation will forever share the same space with horrific stories of a small man who became the personification of shame. There will be those who will always thank him for what he did for the industry, and they will tell you that while they don't agree with the man he was in private, his contributions should never be forgotten. They will tell you that, like Chris Benoit, the wrestler who murdered his wife and young son, it is important to separate the art from the artist. However, I believe that when you compare Vince McMahon the character, who took such joy in sexually humiliating women significantly younger than him on national television for years, to Vince McMahon the person, who allegedly sexually assaulted women significantly younger than him for decades and paid for their silence, it is impossible to separate them. And sometimes, art matters very little when it's created by a monster. After all, I've always heard Adolf Hitler was a pretty good painter. Thank you for listening to No Turning Back on the Podzilla 1985 Network. My name is Shannon Young, wishing you all a good day and a better tomorrow.